Player Profiler Posse, you know the drill. Over the last three weeks, we've taken a look at week one DFS pricing on DraftKings. We started off by looking at the quarterback position, then the running backs, and then the wide receivers. Today, our final episode, until the regular season kicks off, we're going to take a look at the tight ends and the defenses. We'll take a look at the macro strategy perspective. We'll take a look at some individual player pricings and talk about Week one DFS. We are here, baby. Football is on the horizon. With that, I am Hilo, and this is First Mover. Like I said, baby, we are here. We made it. We're going to take a look at week one. DFS player pricing, focusing on the tight end position and the defense position. We've got an interesting slate as far as tight ends go. The first question I always ask myself at the tight end position is, is Travis Kelsey on the slate? Why is that? Well, Travis Kelsey is one of the most consistent producers over the previous three seasons at the tight end position. Furthermore, he is one of the few players that can really put the slate out of reach. What I mean by that is he can provide a score that you kind of had to have or you were not winning anything. And that's what it's all about. We want to be winning. So the first big glaring issue with this slate, or I guess talking point about this slate, is that Travis Kelsey is not on the slate. He's playing Thursday Night Football to kick us off here in just two short days. So with that, now we have this list at the top, and we're going to talk about these real quick, and then you're going to hear a word from our sponsor these names up top, Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle, Dallas Goddard, Tyler Higby. Those are where I kind of want to stop because these are the players. And it's an interesting mix of volume tight ends. We've talked about who those tight ends are expected to be this season previously. But when we think about volume tight ends, those are the tight ends where we can project them to surpass 100 targets in the coming year. What does that volume buy us? That volume buys us a shifted range of outcomes that is more biased to the right on a sliding scale of individual weekly ranges of outcomes. Volume breeds production, breeds consistency, breeds breeds stability, and so volume is important. Of those five names I mentioned, down here to Tyler Higby, three of those players are projected for more than 100 targets on the season. Those are Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, and Tyler Higby. What's interesting about the other two names in George Kittle and Dallas Goddard are these are the players that are on high-powered offenses that can get there without elite volume. And by get there, I mean we're looking for 30-plus point fantasy point production from these type players in this format because that is a score that is hard to reach by the rest of a very, very flat position in tight end. So before we check out the rest of the state of this slate from the tight end position, here is a quick word from our sponsors for this week. Now, as we at Player Profiler have become a full-blown machine learning company, the crowning achievement has to be the injury finder. We're now taking BMI data and injury history data 
and assigning a probability that a player is injured on any given touch. And not only can you see a player's fragility rating, their injury risk, we also have analysis from professional physical therapists breaking down all the major players that underwent surgery last year and what their rehabilitation looks like heading into 2023. There's a tool to compare players. There's a database where you can say, show me all the foot injuries, show me all the severe injuries, show me all the injuries requiring surgery. It provides you the key market intelligence to know what is the difference in probability that player X versus player Y will miss games this year. It's great for fantasy football, and it also just satisfies your curiosity as a fan. Go to the App Store, go to Google Play, download it. It's 5 bucks every year just to reload the latest injury predictions and fragility ratings. The 2023 data is live now. Open your phone and get smarter. Welcome back, y'all. One thing that I really find interesting with that injury finder and how the podfather describes it is how he views it as the probability of re-injury. And everything that we're doing in fantasy sports from DFS to season long to dynasty to best ball is we're leveraging ranges of outcomes and trying to build them into our favor to increase our expected value. So I love that we have this new tool, the injury finder over at player profiler, where you can check out the probabilities of re-injury which helps to influence our decision-making process. With that, let's get back into DFS, baby. Back, We're back. We talked about the top five tight ends here, and these are typically the pricing range of the players that can put the slate out of reach on a given slate, and we'll say at a frequency greater than average. And that's important, similar to this injury discussion that we just had and we heard Podfather discuss, is the probability we're, we're, we're looking to leverage probabilities in this game. And so these are the players that greater than average chance have, or have a greater than average chance of kind of putting up a score that you had to have in order to re, to, to win a GPP. That's putting the slate out of reach. That is, you must have that player to win. That's why we have players that are priced up in this tier. And what we alluded to earlier before we went to the break there is that there's an interesting mix of players in this tier that have the volume required to provide that type of profile mixed with players that can do it on efficiency and finding the end zone based on the power of their offense, based on their role in their respective offense. And the two names that we mentioned were George Kittle and Dallas Goddard. One of the more interesting names out of this top five is Dallas Goddard because he is neither a volume tight end nor carries a high role in the red zone in his offense. So Dallas Goddard is actually a guy that I am very seldomly playing in DFS because you think about the way I like to describe it is he has a very, very thin needle to thread, a very fine needle to thread. The stars have to align for Dallas Goddard to return a score that you had to have, which is the tier that he is priced at. And we look at his red zone numbers. I mean, he only had 10 red zone targets uh, a season ago. He had six in 2021. He only had five red zone targets in 2020. So this is not a volume tight end. This is not a tight end that is utilized heavily in the red zone. So we kind of has being priced up for the offense that he is on and almost 
negating the fact that he doesn't bring the profile of kind of what we're looking for in this pricing tier. So for all those reasons, he's kind of a guy that I, I very seldom play in this pricing tier. And he's a guy that's also highly unlikely to see his price go down because of the pricing algorithms that are on the major sites, DK and, and underdog, or sorry, not DK and underdog, DK and FanDuel in uh, primarily. And something that not a lot of fantasy DFS players understand is that these pricing algorithms actually take into account previous ownership when they are adjusting prices for a given week. They take into account previous performance. They take into account matchups slightly for the coming week. They take into account game totals, all those things. They also take into account previous ownership. And Dallas Goddard, because he plays for the Philadelphia Eagles, because it is a high-powered offense, and because he is tied to one of the top quarterbacks in the league, he always garners ownership. So he's highly unlikely to see his price fall to a meaningful level to where we can now leverage some of the upside that's baked into that price. So a quick spiel on Dallas Goddard. I'm very rarely playing him from a theoretical perspective. We just talked about all the reasons why. But let's talk about these sub-5-ish K tight ends down here into the Evan Ingram and below. And we'll kind of take a look at, we'll go all the way down to Taysom Hill. So right here is perfect. Ingram, Dalton Schultz, Kyle Pitts, Cole Komet, Gerald Everett, David Njoku, Pat Fryermuth, Greg Dulcich. That's an interesting one to talk about him here shortly as well. Uh, because these player pricings came out prior to some news in Denver and some preseason observations that we have. Uh, Jawan Johnson, Chig Okonkwo, and Taysom Hill. These are the players priced between 4700 and 3700 on DraftKings. This is kind of a tier of its own. Some people put it all the way down to 3.5. I just I like to kind of break it up into how I'm viewing the players and what they provide in their range of outcomes. There are a couple outliers in this player pricing tier at the tight end position. Evan Ingram, Dalton Schultz, Kyle Pitts, um, these top three in player pricing in this area, this tier, we'll call it, of player pricing at the tight end position, these players are either on top offenses or expected to garner uh, a significant target share on their respective team or extremely talented. And each of one of those is kind of a different player within that realm. Evan Ingram on one of the expected top offenses, Dalton Schultz expected to garner a fairly significant target market share in his offense, expected to be lower scoring. And then Kyle Pitts, uber talented, uber athletic, but has not had the, the role in this offense, in this Arthur Smith offense to really provide any significant ceiling on a weekly basis. So as we noticed in the tier previously discussed, we have an interesting mix of elite upside and volume. And in this tier, it's players that have only one of those kind of three pieces that we talked about. So no longer do these players have like two of those three or all three, as is the case with Travis Kelsey, elite offense, elite expected role on his offense, elite red zone usage. Now we start getting into these players, and, and these are the players at the top of this tier. They really only have one of those three primary tools we utilize to analyze these players. Once you start getting down to Cole Komet 
and all the way down to Chigakonkwo, now these players have kind of fewer of those three things or to a, a lower degree. And I mentioned there's a couple of outliers. Those two outliers are Greg Dulcich, who is priced at 4K. And again, this player pricing came out before we saw that Adam Trotman was kind of the every down tight end in Denver. We expected Greg Dulcich to kind of be an every down, every a high snap rate player, a high routes run uh, rate player. And what we saw in preseason usage with the ones is that's kind of Adam Trotman. And Adam Trotman is a more complete tight end. So we know that that kind of player is, is um, regarded highly from Sean Payton. We know that he kind of buys into that thing, but we also know, and this is where the interesting part. So that's, that's why his Greg Dulcich's price is at 4k. On the other side of that coin is we can probably expect some fairly significantly low ownership on Greg Dulcich in week one, because he is priced way above his expected role in this offense on an offense that we know was chasing historical lows in scoring last season. They were dead last 32nd in points scored per game. But now the injury to Jerry Judy introduces some very, very interesting dynamics with the Denver offense in the sense that because they have a rookie wide receiver who is stepping into his first NFL action and is now going to be starting in two wide receiver sets um, due to the injuries, significant injuries that they've had in Denver amongst the wide receivers. If Jerry Judy does not go in this game, I would expect some elevated rates of 12 personnel with getting two tight ends on the field because we should expect uh, Cortland Sutton and Marvin Mims to be operating as the starting perimeter type wide receivers they really don't have a lot of healthy bodies behind them. So the fact that we've seen Adam Trotman be the go-to kind of every down tight end because he has pass blocking chops, he has run blocking chops, he is a very, very complete inline tight end. Now we have Greg Dulcich, who is probably going to have a higher target part or a higher route participation rate, a higher targets per route run rate, who is now going to be getting more expected routes, targets, all that thing, playing time, snap rate, than we thought a week ago or a week and a half ago when Jerry Judy's injury occurred. So he's very interesting. He's overpriced relative to his range of outcomes, but he is interesting from the sense that he we don't expect a lot of ownership on him. And the matchup against Las Vegas is very, very soft through the air, very, very soft through the middle, over the middle of the field. We expect high rates of cover two um, and tight ends, pass catching running backs, slot type wide receivers are typically how we exploit those coverages. Uh, that's outlier number one. Outlier number two is Taysom Hill, because Taysom is a guy who has exhibited immense ceiling because of his role or his multifaceted role, we'll say, in this um, New Orleans offense. Interesting also for the sense that Taysom is now listed as a quarterback on the official depth chart of the New Orleans Saints. And my reasoning why they did that is they're probably trying to leverage and bend the new emergency quarterback rules in their favor. If they have Taysom Hill listed as the quarterback too, they can now bring in Jameis Winston as the emergency quarterback to be active on game days. And they're effectively getting an additional roster spot on game days. Um, they're now getting 
<laughs> up to 54 players. So that's an interesting uh, kind of massaging of the new rules there. Um, but Taysom Hill, in camp, he's being utilized uh, in the backfield. He's being utilized in line as a tight end. He's being utilized in the slot. He's being utilized as a quarterback. He's being utilized out wide. He's being utilized as a fullback. This is a dude who is kind of this queen chess piece in this offense. And we know that that can provide some ceiling with his athletic profile. So Taysom Hill is an interesting name to kind of keep on your radar because he always brings elite top end range of his uh, range of outcomes, elite ceiling. Um, And he's priced in kind of this nebulous range where he can be very, very interesting. When we start getting down to below Taysom Hill, these players all have very significant blemishes to their expected profile until we start getting down to a guy by the name of Luke Musgrave in Green Bay. Luke Musgrave is priced at only 2900 because he is a rookie tight end on a very, very young offense in Green Bay. But after player pricing was released about six weeks ago, we found out that Luke Musgrave is going to be more or less an every down complete tight end in this Green Bay offense. So that's very, very interesting. We're getting a steep discount at only 2.9. Now, we expect this Green Bay and Chicago game environment to be rather weak in the sense that there are very, very few paths to this game environment truly blowing up. That said, with the role that Luke Musgrave is expected to have on this offense, his range of outcomes looks very, very good at a price of only 2.9. There's a lot of theoretical components that go in that, we're playing a 2.9, $2,900 in salary tight end, we have to understand the bet that we're making. The bet that we're making, if we're playing a 2.9 tight end, is he is going to return enough on that low salary to keep our rosters competitive and the top end in the player pricing at the position is going to fail. And as we talked about, the top five names on this list in player pricing, Mark Andrews at 6.2, TJ Hawkinson at 5.9, George Kittle at 5.7, Dallas Goddard at 5.0, and Tyler Higby at 4.8. For those guys to be deemed a failure does not mean that they don't score 15 points. And and if if they don't if they don't hit 15 points and we and Luke Musgrave does hit 15 points, that's a win. No. Them failing to put the slate out of reach where you had to have them or you were not winning is how they fail. So there's many paths for those five guys to do that. If Mark Andrews puts up 18 fantasy points on a salary of 6.2, that can be made up for at other positions. TJ Hawkinson puts up 20 points at a salary of 5.9. That can be made up at other positions because we're saving 3K in salary that we can upgrade elsewhere so that's kind of the tight end spiel that's kind of how i look at the tight end position i look at identifying the players that can put the slate out of reach you had to have those players or you were not winning anything then i kind of think about what are the paths to those players failing to put the slate out of reach and can i save salary at the position and allocate it elsewhere to bolster my my range of outcomes of my roster as a whole let's now turn our attention real quick and this is going to be a shorter episode this is not going to go 45 minutes tight end position we're only playing one 
And then the defense position, the discussion is rather quick. So we're going to keep this one around about 30 minutes. And wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Get straight to the good stuff and get it uh, out intelligently and uh, expeditiously uh, so that we can start building and tinkering with these rosters because that is where the fun is. So looking at the defense position, defense special teams, let's first talk about what the scoring and how uh, the overall composition of what kind of goes into defense special team scoring. We know we get one point for a sack. We get two points for any turnover, fumble, recovery, or an interception. We get certain points allotted for uh, point suppression. And then we get six massive points per defensive or special teams touchdown. Since we know that touchdowns are much a much greater factor in defensive scoring, as in the points scored for a defensive touchdown count so much more than the other ways in which defenses score points. And so that, that contributes to the variance at the position, but, and the fact that ownership tends to congregate fairly heavily at the defense position because there always seems to be, or they're always via human psychology there always seems to be the top play and people cannot break out of this mindset that I have to play the top play on paper at the defensive position. So those two things, the fact that there's immense variance, this is the most variant position as far as scoring goes. And the fact that we typically see increased rates of chalk develop at the position should basically mean that ownership expected ownership is one of our primary decision points in our decision-making matrix at this position. That means that we are factoring that in heavier um, than at other positions. Ownership is extremely important to be paying attention to at defense. We look at week one, what do we have? We have a defense that's priced at just 2.8 in the Washington Commanders at home, taking on the Arizona Cardinals with Lord knows who at quarterback. With <laughs> Jonathan Gannon still doesn't know who's going to be quarterback for this team in week one. We know it's probably either going to be Joshua Dobbs or Clayton Toon. We know that one is a journeyman veteran. We know that the other is a rookie. And they could surprise us and throw James Conner in at quarterback. I don't know, man. Uh, but that is the state of the Arizona Cardinals. That is what the field is going to see. The field is also going to understand that you know, it's not going to surprise anybody that the Washington commanders have a top five, maybe even a top three defensive line. And this is important too, because this is going to lead into the next point that we talk about or how we pick defenses. The only thing, and since we know that defensive scoring is so important, turnovers are so important. The only thing that we can control outside of variance in defenses and when selecting them is pressure in the backfield. Because pressure in the backfield leads to sacks. That's trickle-down points. Pressure in the backfield leads to mistakes. That's turnovers. More trickle-down points. Pressure in the backfield also can lead to strip sacks, which is the most direct path to scoring a defensive touchdown. Because there's no offensive players behind the ball, between the ball and the end zone. Also things like 
aggressive secondaries and jumping routes. And, you know, that's why Dallas was so important and valuable to us last year. That's why New England was so important and valuable to us last year. They're scoring defensive touchdowns because their corners are ultra aggressive in the system that they play. And then we know that they're playing primarily cover two, so they know they have the help behind them. I mean, go look at the film from Trevon Diggs and look at his ability to understand where his safety help was behind him and when to jump routes. And that's what led to all those interceptions in Dallas last year. So those things are all important. But the primary thing that we're looking to do is look at in the trenches mismatches, schematical mismatches, blitz rates, pressure rates, and getting pressure on the quarterback in the backfield because that will lead to sacks, that will lead to mistakes, that will lead to turnovers, and more opportunities of scoring defensive touchdowns. There's always going to be that fluke punt return that just completely turns the slate on its head, and that is just part of the variance at the position, and that is also why ownership is so important to pay attention to at defense and special teams. Washington Commanders. Your high-dollar contest, probably going to get up to 35-40% owned in week one. In your low-dollar big field contest, probably going to be between 22-25% owned in week one. I have no idea. Projections are not out yet. That's just my feel on the situation based on my experience in this industry. But that's probably a fairly accurate, good idea of kind of where the ownership is going to settle on the Washington Commanders. That does not mean when we're considering what defense we play, that does not mean we see ownership and we just pick another one. That means it goes into and it's weighted in our decision-making process a little bit more than at other positions. So if you're playing Washington Commanders, how do you play them differently than everybody else? How do you construct a roster that is different than the standard roster of everybody else? You're probably going to have a lot of Washington Commanders on uh, Chargers Dolphins stacks put into play. So play them on non-Dolphins Chargers stacks. That's one very simple way to do it. Um, You're probably going to have a lot of rosters that carry some of the the chalk build, as we've discussed in previous, uh, previous episodes, where the salary allocation is very, very similar to a lot of people. Um, one interesting thing I think you can do if you're playing the commanders is not play a top quarterback because typically paying down at defense is going to give you that a little bump to salary player pricing is already very, very soft in week one. People are going to have the salary to spend up. There's some interesting options to pay down at quarterback and make your roster different and still play the Washington commanders. What are some other defenses that could give us some interesting paths to upside. We talked about pressure, pressure in the backfield. The Philadelphia Eagles are priced at 3.7 and a general feeling from the field based on our observations over the previous couple of seasons is the field is generally getting smarter to the fact that defense is so variant in scoring. What that means and what we've seen is typically the answer is to pay down at the position as much as possible. That just happens to naturally fit where the Washington Commanders are priced at only 2.8. So right off the bat, paying up for defenses is almost taboo in the current DFS landscape. 
We have a Philadelphia Eagles defense that's going on the road in New England to take on a New England Patriots team that is going to be severely outmatched in the trenches. Philadelphia Eagles were chasing history as far as sacks went a season ago. They only scored uh, two defensive touchdowns, which severely suppressed their overall fantasy points per game, 8.9. As you see here, see here. I mean, that was below the 49ers at 9.0 because the 49ers were finding the end zone and were getting the turnovers. That was way below the Patriots at 10.9 fantasy points per game because they were scoring oodles and noodles of touchdowns. They scored eight times. But again, the variance associated with the position, the only thing we can control, pressure in the backfield. 78 sacks a season ago and 31 turnovers generated. This two defensive touchdowns on that profile is highly variant, as in they underperformed their expectation as far as defensive touchdowns went. So this is a team that we can expect to be getting in the chili in the backfield of New England's quarterback. We can expect Mac Jones to be under a lot of pressure, and that leads to the opportunity for mistakes, turnovers, defensive scores. They are highly intriguing at a price of 3.7, kind of flipping the build there on paying down at the defensive position. Another very, very interesting one is the Miami Dolphins, priced at 2.5. The Miami Dolphins are in the highest scoring game as far as game total goes, the top expected game environment of the week, and on the road in Los Angeles facing the Chargers. But what we have seen from Kellen Moore offenses is they have been more or less inconsistent. And we have seen Kellen Moore call game plans where he starts to chase if they are behind. And that means opening up the offense, opening up more passing, higher pass rate over expectation. And when you are increasing your pass rate, that is more opportunity for sacks, for getting pressure on the quarterback, for mistakes to be made. So that's a very, very interesting one. And particularly think, uh, thinking about the changes that have happened in Miami on the defensive side of the ball. We got a new defensive coordinator. We have new personnel. They shored up their secondary. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey is hurt to begin the season. So this is a very, very different looking defense than in previous seasons. So they're a very interesting pay down option at 2.5. So we kind of gave you one defense in each pricing tier pay up option at Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles at 3.7, a mid-range option in the Washington Commanders at 2.8, and then a pay-down option in the Miami Dolphins at 2.5. So again, that was quick, down, and dirty. Sticking to my promise here, 31 minutes, trying to get the good stuff out there as expeditiously as I could. With that, let's go build some rosters, man. DFS is here, and let's hit it. And with that, we'll get out of here with a quick word from the Podfather. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all of this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you the people that get the site and get the show.